You're listening to another wrestling episode of Tap Outs and Touchdowns, featuring your guy, Bully Rye, and PJ Steven, presented by Anchor Podcasts. That's right, everybody. It's the wrestling episode of this week's Tap Outs and Touchdowns. As always, it's your guy, Bully Rye, and you're getting this episode on a very special occasion. It's Halloween. And what better way to bring in the Halloween holiday than to speak to, than to, to talk about some Halloween havocs put on by WCW. And without further ado, we can't talk wrestling and talk Halloween havoc without talking to our wrestling show co-host, PJ Steven. PJ, how's it going today, bud? Oh, it is fantastic. We are recording this the night right before Halloween after coming off a four-show little tour that the band has done and I'm, t- I'm tired i'm sore and i'm ready to talk about some halloween havoc i cannot wait cannot wait to discuss this with you yeah we're gonna be doing it a little differently this week normally we have the uh the break it down and then we go to a main event this week we're gonna have what i'm going to coin as the dark match the undercard if you will um we're gonna talk halloween havoc 1991 and in the main card of this week's show, we will do Halloween Havoc 1998. That should be very, very well ingrained into your minds if you're one of the 12 people to listen to the show. It was the infamous failed Fireball as well as the Diamond Dallas Page and Goldberg match from Halloween Havoc 1998. And in the main event of today's show, we are going to go over the top five spookiest wrestlers or spookiest wrestler gimmicks of all time. So without further ado, PJ, let's go ahead and get into the dark match, the undercard, Halloween Havoc 1991. It took place October 27th, 1991 from the UTC Arena in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, First things first, uh, great announce team. The AEW announce team is here, PJ. Uh, Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross calling this card. The show would start with Eric Bischoff meeting people as they drive up to the arena. You see Cactus Jack and Abdullah the Butcher, uh, followed by Diamond Dallas Page and the Diamond Stud, a.k.a. Scott Hall. And then Barry Windham shows up with Dustin Rhodes. You get Arn Anderson coming and slamming Barry Windham's arm in the door. And that's basically how we kick off the show. Uh, the first match of this show, PJ, is one of the most infamous gimmick matches of all time. And it was the Chamber of Horrors match. Uh, the, 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 I guess it was an eight-man tag team match. Uh, the team of El Gigante or El Gigante, Sting, and the Steiner Brothers taking on the team of Vader, uh, the Diamond Stud, a.k.a. Scott Hall, Abdullah the Butcher, and Cactus Jack. A lot of Hall of Famers in this match. And then you have El Gigante. PJ, how would you feel about the uh, the Chamber of Horrors when you got to rewatch it? What did, what did you think about this match? I honestly forgot that Sting was in this match. I really did. Um, I... <laughs> And listen, dude man's been no, over ahead, for thir- dude man's been over for thirty years. Like he was, he got the loudest pop of anybody in this match. Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was interesting. So here's the thing: Did you notice in the middle of the match that the switch fell in the middle of the match? Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, it's that was, but that's another thing that's been well documented about this match too. Is that the uh, the switch yeah. fell in the middle of the match? So I first heard that story um, with Dusty Rhodes talking about in the um, 
the uh, the roundtable discussions that they used to have the Legends of Wrestling on the uh, network or the yep. WWE twenty four seven, and he talked about how he woke up from that match and or woke up and had that dream of that match and um, boy howdy that dream was a nightmare. This match was weird, but it was it was okay, but it 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 was just it 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 wasn't great. Listen, uh, yeah. But yeah, Sting Sting's team uh, goes over after Katniss Jack accidentally pulls the switch while Abdullah the Butcher is in the electric chair. Uh, weird shit, uh, but good. I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah, we got absolute <laughs> chaos in this match. It was capped off with the murder of, of, of Abdullah the Butcher. They were they would lower this this cage that carried an electric chair in, and um and Cactus Jack laid in the ring as the chair came down, and the announce team was, oh my god, the chair is going to flatten Cactus. As it's being lowered uh, as fast as a Zamboni crawls across an ice rink. Um, <laughs> and Cactus Jack notices it, gets right out the way with no issue. And Shivani says something along the lines of, Well, good thing he got out the way. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I can't believe they decided the winner of a match based on one team murdering a member of the other team. Um, again, like you said, it was chaos. The match is what you expected to be. Um, and then all of a sudden you get Abdullah the Butcher coming back to life in only WCW fashion and only Halloween fashion and, and goes berserk on everyone. I gave this match two and a half stars only because there was a lot of talent in the ring considering it was not a wrestling match. PJ, we're going to go through some of these matches really quickly um, because let's be honest, not a lot of these people are well known. The next match on this card uh, featured the Creatures versus Big Josh and PN News. Um, the only thing that stuck out to me was that the creatures came out to the Ultimo Dragons theme song. Um, PM News tried to rap before the match and just, I guess it's what he would call rap. It was terrible. Um, this seemed like a match that belonged on a house show, not a pay-per-view. PJ, anything you want to add about the, the this, this match here? Not much I want to add about almost, uh, any of these matches, really. Uh, I did love seeing, we're going to, I'm skipping ahead just a little bit here. I did love seeing uh, Steve Austin. And Dustin Rhodes, great match. Oh um, yeah, you're getting ahead of yourself, man. You really are. I Ooh. am because I'm skipping. I'm skipping a lot of this shit because I mean, I, Bobby Eaton and Terrence Taylor. Well, yeah. Who, listen, listen. Um, Honestly, if, if you're if you're if you're if you're going to be honest here, Bobby Eaton versus he's known as Terrence Taylor looks like Madcap Moss in this in this pay per view. Um, yeah. To that point, was the best match on the card. Um, a little long, but um, something about a top rope. Leg drop, uh, can, to me is, is sort of impressive because of the wear and tear that has to do on your back and everything else. Bobby Eaton goes over, um, oh, yeah. and yeah, the next match before we get into the Steve Austin match, you get Jimmy Garvin of the Fabulous Freebirds taking on a very, very flamboyant Johnny B. Bad. I don't remember this side of Mark Marrow's gimmick. Uh, oh, I, I love, I love this time, this side of Mark Marrow's gimmick. I, I really enjoyed this. I mean, he's in full on makeup. Um, you know, I will mention that this match took forever to get started. Um, and the, at least the match wasn't too long. Kind of wondering, they kept calling Theodore Long, Teddy Long, a peanut head. I didn't know if there was something to that, but I digress. A couple of sort of throwaway matches. At least you had some talent here with Bobby Eaton, Terry Taylor, Johnny B. Bad, and Jimmy Garvin. But like you said, probably the match of the night on this card would feature what would eventually become Stone Cold Steve Austin and Goldust. But instead of for the Intercontinental Championship, it would be for the WCW Television Championship. Stunning Steve Austin taking on the natural Dustin Rhodes. Really good back-and-forth match. 
Um, but it's be again to be expected, knowing what they would become. Um, I'm, I'm PJ. I know you wanted to talk about this match. I know we we got the finish here, which is sort of a non-finish, but. For a TV championship, I like the way that these matches somehow finish sometimes. Uh, give me give me your thoughts on this match. <clears throat> That's exactly what I was going to say. I love the fact that it went to a to a draw. That was awesome. I loved it. Uh, television champion matches uh, were always terrific on pay-per-views, and this was definitely no exception. Well, and you know, I AEW does time limits, and every now and then they'll call out 10 minutes remaining, whatever the case is. The, one, the thing I loved about this is you had David Penzer calling out like 30 seconds remaining in the 15-minute time limit. So yeah. there was a sense of urgency, like I've got to get this pin. Um, and that's why I really enjoy the time limits when you have situations like this where you can sort of like get them going. Like you got to get a pin, and if you don't, you don't win the championship. So um, really fun stuff here. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm, if I'm not – I haven't gone ahead of my notes, but – I'm pretty sure I gave this the highest rating on the card, and it was a four-star match here between Steve Austin and Dustin Rhodes. Next up, you get a Starcade promo, super 1990s, super fun. Um, and then you get Kevin Nash being being known as the the great and powerful Oz, taking on Bill Casimir, Kaz whoever the hell he was. He was the original, I guess, world's strongest man in professional yeah. wrestling. Uh, dude's, dude's built. Like, you could tell he was strong. But he beats Nash with a torture rack. Like, did you do you have anything to add to this match? I gave it one star. Like, this was boring. No, it it, it, it went three minutes, fifty nine seconds. Let's move on. Yep. Next up, um, the only reason I want to mention this is because, um, again, squash matches don't belong on pay per views, and I still can't believe that this dude actually walked up to a group of people, including Ric Flair, and told them that he was going to save WCW. Van Hammer taking on some guy named Doug Summers um, almost killed Summers with a slingshot suplex. Yes, he, he didn't, did. He didn't get the right, I guess, uh, turnover, if you will. Um, I gave this match zero stars. Absolute dog shit. What do you say? What do you say about this, PJ? Yeah, it was it was a dud, and that sucks because I'm actually a Van Hammer fan. But uh, yeah, this just wasn't it. You would be a Van Hammer fan. Van Hammer's the worst. I mean, I like Disco, Disco Inferno more than I like Van Hammer. That is a I love, genuine. Oh, we've I talked disco, about on the show. Yeah, I, I love I love Disco Inferno more than I like half this card. Disco Inferno yeah. is tremendous. Now, there's a couple of big names in this next match. The very first ever WCW Light Heavyweight Championship would be decided. Brian Pillman, Flying Brian, taking on again for whatever reason, like WWE these days, at least until Vince left, was really adamant about taking away last names. I guess this is a uh, a phase in WCW where everybody had to have really formal names if you didn't have a gimmick name on Brian, like Flying Brian. Richard Morton is what Ricky Morton is going to be called here, one of the, one half of the uh, the Rock and Roll Express taking on Brian Pillman for this championship. Um, something we haven't talked about, the, the referee, the referee helmet cam. I actually sort of dug it for a while, but I don't know if you caught this when they tried to explain what the referee cam was again at the beginning of this match. Jim Ross goes like referee, referee, whatever. Like I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah, it was. It, I didn't really like it to be honest with you. Um, but it was. It was. It was a cool idea on paper. But I think execution wasn't very. I don't know. Good. I feel. I feel like you can make it work now. Sort of like a. Uh, I don't know. Similar to like a like a, a a body camera for for the police. We have a referee cam so that you can like make sure like like imagine like. Stay with me for a minute. Imagine a guy like Sami Zayn is complaining that the referees are always giving him a hard time and stuff like that. So now the referees have to carry a, a referee cam 
so that if they're not seeing a shoulder up, they can go back to his own camera and prove that the referee saw his shoulder go up and all of a sudden they have to restart the match or something like that. I feel like you can make a gimmick out of this, um, but probably too much. It would probably be too much. Um, Jim Ross sold this win like crazy. Um, sold sold the, uh, the, the, I guess it was a flying body press by Brian Pillman to get the win. Um, and Jim Ross sold it like he won the world heavyweight title. Pretty decent match, all being said. I gave it three stars. Is there anything else you want to add to this match, PJ? No, um, <clears throat> I will say, um, I will say it was a really good match, though. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Again, if you talk about two of the best matches on the card, one being the TV championship, and here the light heavyweight championship match being really good matches, uh, considering it's 1991. Uh, next up on the card, we get the last wasted match, so to speak. Z-Man, otherwise known as Tom Zink, taking on the Halloween Phantom. That would be revealed later in the night as to who it was, who would be. Another wasted match. I think this match went a little over a minute. The Halloween Phantom goes over one star. Um, even Tony Schiavone mentioned when he saw the Phantom hit the neck breakers, like that finisher looks familiar. It looks sort of like the rude awakening. Like you didn't want the crowd to like have their chance to guess who it was. Like they gave it away. Yeah, it was kind of strange. I mean, I think we should have just waited to do the reveal instead of the commentary doing it. And you know what? That's not, I, I wrote this down. That's not the first time that WCW has done that. <clears throat> if you remember when Hogan um, came down as, as the third man, you know, Bobby the Brain Hayden was yeah. very much like, well, whose side is he on? And it's like, well, why would you even say that? You know, so yeah. this is not the first time they've kind of shot themselves in the foot. Imagine that that call if Bobby Heenan doesn't scream out, well, whose side is he on? And, and then you got uh, Dusty Rose. Why, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, you're right. They shot themselves in the foot a few times. But yeah. it would be revealed that Rick Rude was the Halloween Phantom, i.e. the reason why they called his neck breaker the Rude Awakening. Um, <coughs> PJ, we got two more matches on this card before we take our first break and get into the main card here. The WCW World Tag Team Championships is, are on the line. The Patriots, the WCW United States Tag Team Champions, a team featuring Todd Champion and Firebreaker Chip. Uh, I'll be honest, I have no clue who those two guys are before or after this, considering they were champions, is a little more surprising to me. Taking on the WWE Tag Team Champions, the Enforcers, the team of Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco. Uh, the only two notes that I wrote, I uh, forgot that they even had a U.S. Tag Team Champion in WCW, uh, and that I love the AA Spinebuster. Um, I don't think anybody does it better. Uh, great win. The right guys won here. Again, despite not knowing who these guys were, I gave this match three stars because I enjoyed the match. Um, anything that Arn Anderson does, I'm here for. PJ, how would you feel about this tag team title match? I agree. I was just going to say that I love the team of Zabisco and Arn Anderson. I think that's tremendous. And um, the tag team match itself wasn't that bad. Those, you know, two guys not really known, just a squash match to put the titles on the pay-per-view, it seemed like. Yeah, and it was weird that they had both of the titles in this match, and uh, and only one was defended. And uh, they mentioned like somebody was coming coming for the U.S. tag titles earlier in the show, um, but I mean, an undercard tag team championship doesn't really generally work if you ask me, unless it's like New Japan has the junior tag team champions, or for a short time WCW had the cruiserweight tag team champions, which you know you can argue that it was just another title, but. I digress. We have made it to the main event. Before we get there, we get the promo that Paulie Dangerously is fed up and he is going to expose and come after WCW. 
Um, he has now employed Medusa. Uh, he reveals the Halloween Phantom to be Rick Rude. And this is the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, of the Dangerous Alliance. As it is. So that's sort of a fun spot in this show, despite having a bunch of matches that probably would be better served as being house show matches. Um, getting the beginning of the Dangerous Alliance is kind of a cool, a cool footnote to add to this pay per view. Um, this is the reason why it was requested, and I haven't even mentioned it. Uh, this pay per view was requested to be reviewed by a friend of the show, Volley Polly of Polly's Pickums. Make sure you go and like and subscribe to his podcast. Listen to him talk football every week on his show. Um, he requ he requested this pay per view uh, primarily because of the main event. Uh, features a WWE World Heavyweight Championship match. Two out of three falls. Ron Simmons challenging Lex Luger. Um, PJ, I'm going to let you tell, tell us what you thought about this match before I give my notes. Uh, how'd you feel about this match? Do you like the two out of three falls gimmick? Um, and, and sort of give us your thoughts on this on this as a whole. So first of all, I love the th uh, two, out of three uh, two out of three falls um, gimmick. Uh, I think it's fun. I think it's a way to... It's kind of a way to have a really great final match for a rivalry without making it a silly, like hardcore or like really true gimmick match. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, the match is better than what I thought. I thought the I thought the match was going to be good, not great. And to me, I thought the match was pretty great, uh, considering you had Lex Luger in there, yeah. uh, who you know isn't the greatest. But he actually had a good performance in this show, and um, and Ron Simmons is always fucking terrific. And I couldn't remember if this was how long before this was Ron Simmons defeating Vader, and I guess it's like a, we're about a year away from Ron yeah. Simmons defeating Vader for the title. And um, man, you know he he could have had it here, honestly. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, great match. I enjoyed it. Um, and my expectations were really low. I ended up giving this match four stars. I gave it three. Um, you get Simmons taking the first fall with a spine buster. Second match, it's gone to pinfall after a spine buster. Um, I be honest, I absolutely hate. Uh, I hated then. I hate now. Looking back, the top rope DQ is the worst. The worst way you can win or lose a match gives Lex Luger the second fall. Yeah, that's the second fall, uh, Luger by DQ. Yeah, you're right. Yep, and then you've got um, and it's all because of Harley Race getting involved. They both would have gone over the top rope as Luger goes to hit like a, like a again a body press, uh, where they were they both would have gone over the top rope, but Harley Race sort of keeps Ron Simmons in the ring to make it look like he threw him out, uh, which gives Luger the the win. And then you've got a, I called it a sort of a lackluster finish with Luger going over. Um, I you know like you said, we're about a year away from Ron Simmons getting the title. But to your point, I think Simmons was over enough here. They were pushing him hard as a Florida State football star. They had Bobby Bowden in his video vignette. Uh, it really felt like like Ron Simmons was going to get the title here, and he doesn't. Um, but Shivani calling it one of the best matches of all time is yeah, a, little, a little bit of a stretch. It's a little bit of a stretch. I don't so think I, I will say I will say that <laughs> after like a minute or two. In that in that fucking match, Luger was already blown up. Oh, blown up, dude! Absolutely, and they were sweating like he was. I don't know. He the the sweat that was coming off of this dude, like looked like he had just gotten out of a pool. Like I don't mean to be like overly observant, 
But yeah, you're right. He was blown up quick. And when that second fall came and they like, I guess they, they gave him like round breaks to get them, let them re- regain their composure. And Luger is in the corner, just sucking air, dude. He was not in it. Um, but I digress. Yeah. I think, uh, to call any match that Lex Luger was involved in one of the best matches of all time is the stretchiest of stretches that you can stretch. Uh, but I digress. PJ, that was Halloween Havoc 1991. Give me an overall card rating. Give me, like the entire the entire show. What would you give this match as a whole? Oh, man. Two out of five. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. Gave this, gave this pay-per-view two stars. Some really cool stuff on here, considering the star power that was in this match. There's also, again, the infamous uh, Abdullah the Butcher being electrocuted. The Dangerous Alliance was was you know started here, and then you had Ron Simmons and Luger for the title. Uh, so some really cool stuff here, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to get to the main card. We're going to discuss Halloween Havoc 1998, and remember the main event. We're going to give you the top five most spookiest wrestling gimmicks of all time. So stay tuned. We'll be right back right here on Tapouts and Touchdowns. Established in 2008, One Stop Repairs in North Charleston, South Carolina is your one-stop shop for all your electronic repair needs. Specializing in cell phones, tablets, computers, laptops, and game consoles, One Stop Repairs offers reputable and quality service with the quickest turnaround time and most competitive prices in the Lowcountry. You can find them on Google with an exceptional 4.9 star rating or on Facebook or by searching One Stop Repairs. That's the number one, One Stop Repairs. Call today for a quote at 843-343-6310. That's the number one, One Stop Repairs. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the special Halloween special. Special Halloween special. I think that's what I'm going to name the episode, PJ. Special Halloween special. Uh, Halloween Havoc 1998 is what we have for the main card here on the show. Halloween Havoc 1998 took place October 25th, 1998. The MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. I believe it was the fourth consecutive year they held this event out, Halloween Havoc. Um, you know, you get the really cool, it wasn't like the 91 Halloween Havoc. You actually get the the, the nice stage with a big pumpkin at the, at the, the top of the ramp, um, if you want to call it a ramp even. Um, but you get the iconic Halloween Havoc decor here. For this show, the show would open up with Mean Gene interviewing Rick Steiner. Um, you've got Buff Bagwell coming out. Uh, there's the the storyline here is that uh, Rick Steiner had obviously been turned on by his brother Scott. Um, he's been trying to get his hands on Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner has been avoiding him. Um, Buff Bagwell says he's done with Scott Steiner. You know, you team up with me, we can take on the NWO, um, and we can we can beat your brother together. Uh, sort of, you know. Again, I was. This was in 1998. I was 11 years old when this took place. I already knew what was coming at 11 years old. So we'll, we'll get to that when we get there. Um, the opening match on the card features a match for the WCW Television Championship. Long gone are Dustin Rhodes and Steve Austin. Raven taking on the champion, Chris Jericho. I'll give you my notes real quick. The first things first, on Peacock and formerly WWE Network, I really hate that we don't get the old WCW themes here because they couldn't get the rights to them. Um, I'm, a, I'm a, as much of a, uh, as much of a, a gear whore as I am a, an interest theme whore. 
Um, I love me some good interest themes, and the fact that we didn't get the original WCW ones is a little disappointing. Yeah, I agree, because I really enjoyed Jericho's, his original theme. Both? was just sick. And Raven's was great, too, yeah. but you know, Jericho's, to me, I, I like that those that that really uh, heavy guitar riff and such. Yeah, I, I dug it, man. But we a uh, couple, couple notes here. Jericho went for a, an apron spot and fell face first, like forehead first into the guardrail, like – could have legitimately injured himself bad. Um, I gave, I said this is a decent match. I mean, there's not really much to say. Like, you know what you're getting in Raven and WCW, uh, Raven and Jericho, I should say, in WCW peak uh, Monday Night Wars. Uh, I gave this match two and a half stars. PJ, uh, what'd you give this match for the TV title here at Havoc 98? Same, same, um, same rating, actually. Oh, no kidding. I, I really enjoyed this. Yep. Uh, we get sort of uh, a little... I don't know what you call it, a segue. Not really a segue. Just more time for Hogan to waste on the mic. And we're going to get why this was so dumb at the main event of this show. Um, but a total waste of time for, for Hogan to get up and just to run his mouth. I understand they were setting up something for the main event. Um, but he gets on and he cuts his promo about how he, uh, you know, crucified his own his own nephew. Um, and what was he going to do to Warrior here in the main event of the show or, the, I guess, the penultimate match of this card, but a huge waste of time, almost as much of a time as I've wasted talking about it. The next match on the card, the push for wrath continued here as wrath got to take on Ming, AKA King Haku. Uh, again, we've talked about how much we love Ming in the past. Um, early in this match, there was a really high risk move by wrath to the outside. Wrath is not a small dude. And so seeing him do something like this was pretty impressive. Um, great match for a couple of big dudes. Like normally when they throw big dudes in the ring together, it can be clunky and just awkward, but this was not. Uh, Wrath hits his finisher on Ming, who's – I think they build him as a 300-pounder. Really impressive for a guy that like Wrath, who, again, if you knew him as Adam Bomb in WWF, um, is, is smaller than Ming, and he still got him up. PJ, another two-and-a-half-star match here. Uh, how'd you feel about this match, Ming versus Wrath? Just an uh, excellent match because it's just two big bastards just going at it. And uh, I'm, a, I mean, I've always been a fan of Wrath. I've always said that Wrath should have just been in Goldberg's spot, and you would have had not only like an undefeated force, but you would have had a great wrestler as well. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely like this match. Well, he started getting that push, and then he got fed oh, yeah. to Goldberg. So then um, it was like, then that was that was such a waste. No, I agree. Um, we get some sort of Gaga matches here. Uh, Disco Inferno taking on Juventud Guerrera. And the winner of this match would challenge Billy Kidman later in the night for the Cruiserweight Championship. How they tried to pass off Disco Inferno as a Cruiserweight, I still don't understand. It's almost as bad as, as trying Matt to convince Hardy. us. As, I was going to say Matt Hardy or his buddy Murphy. Like, it's almost as bad oh, as yeah, them trying Murphy, to bill yeah. us one of those guys as Cruiserweights. Um... PJ, I know we talked about how much we both enjoyed Disco Inferno. We do get a Disco sighting, and spoiler alert, we get to see him twice tonight. How would you feel about this match between Disco and Juventude? Uh, I really actually, I really enjoyed it, man. There's rarely a Cruiserweight match in WCW that I don't really like. Yeah, you get Disco hitting a Cesaro swing. It was pretty funny. And then uh, Disco goes over with a pile driver, uh, and he will meet Billy Kidman later on in the show. I gave this match two stars. I should mention that Disco – had been using uh, what I, I forgot what they called it, but it was essentially the Stone Cold Stunner for a while to this point. 
and uh, they would take that finisher away to give it to the disciple, i.e. the booty man, i.e. Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And what we would all come to know is that the night after this pay-per-view would be the last time we would see Warrior in uh, WCW. And so the gimmick that they were trying to give the disciple would be short-lived and Disco would eventually get that finisher back to use on his own. Um, next up on the show, we get a Scott Steiner promo. We got to see Rick earlier in the night. Scott Steiner promo is setting up a tag team match for the tag team championship for, I guess, it's just the NWO Freebird, Freebird rules. Uh, Scott Steiner and his partner, the Giant, would defend the WCW tag team titles against Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell. If Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell were to win, Rick Steiner would get a 15-minute time limit match against his brother immediately following. So, again, I told you some kind of, like, gaga matches. Now you've got the Disco Inferno getting a shot to uh, challenge for the Cruiserweight title on this later in the show. And now you've got a, a tag team match stipulation where a singles match would follow. Um, next up on the card, a couple of really underrated wrestlers. Fit Finley taking on Alex Wright. Pretty good action back and forth. Um, a... a believe it was a neck breaker finish it was really quick that they got there surprised alex wright went over finley pj you got anything to say about Pitt finley versus alex wright dude you and i so far with this pay-per-view have been like like eye to eye because i said the same thing i was like man i'm surprised they put alex Wright over because i think alex wright is one of the the most underrated in uh in wcw he's he's so crisp and uh i, I think he's a great talent i really do so i'm really i was really happy when he went over you know what wasn't crisp? Where all the all the like corny white people in the crowd trying to do the Alex Wright dance, and none of them could get it right. Like the like the hand behind the head, the other with the arm with the leg leg stomp. None of them get it right. PJ, it's because it white people have no rhythm. That's that's what exactly what it was. Um, <laughs> another this is the nineties when hardly anybody had rhythm. Yeah. Oh, it was also the time of the baggy clothes that that baseball jersey Buff Bagwell came out in. Was uh, was super baggy, much much different today. Um, next up on the card, we get Lodi taking on Saturn. Um, they, you know, they've done a bunch of like viral videos, and even there was even a Taylor Swift video, I believe, where they had like you're writing a note and you're like flipping over the page. Lodi was ahead of his time because he was doing that with the uh, with the posters here. Um, I thought it was really interesting to look back and see, like, you know what, that became popular even. Uh, for a while, Sammy Guevara was doing it in TV commercials in AEW. Um, and I think Lodi was kind of a trendsetter here for, for, for doing that. But um, this match, I'll, I'll give you my one note, is better than it should have been. Uh, Saturn was a special talent. Reminds me of what Taz maybe could have been had they pulled Taz out of ECW instead of Saturn. Um, a lot of suplexes here, really good stuff. Um I gave us two and a half stars. Saturn goes over with the Death Valley Driver, an actual DVD, not an attitude adjustment. PJ, how'd you feel about this match between Lodi and Saturn? Um, so the last, these last couple matches, you know, uh, we're going to talk about it because uh, towards the end, but we are wasting a lot of time here. Yeah. Uh, yes, they're good matches, but not for what we need. And the amateur move that WCW makes at the end of this card is insane. But that. To the side, it was a really good match. All right, PJ. Next up on the card, the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Already mentioned it a couple times. Disco Inferno, after beating Juventud Guerrera, gets the champion, Billy Kidman, here. Uh, PJ, give us your thoughts on the Cruiserweight Championship match at Halloween Havoc 1998. 
I actually really liked this match, and I'll tell you why. I think that Kidman and Disco had a great chemistry. I loved, and I've mentioned this on the show before, I love Disco's shit-talking in this match when he's like, he's like pretending to be like, Kidman's mom calling him down for dinner and he's like I'm coming mom come on Kidman like I mean I thought that was so funny uh, I liked this match a lot great finish too Kidman went over um, good stuff I liked it yeah the one the one spot that I wanted to mention in this match uh, Disco hit Kidman with a drop toe hold and Kidman like face first to the bottom rope it looked really rough other than that a relatively clean match uh, you know, like you said, Kidman goes over. He hits a shooting star press. I always cringe when I saw Kidman's gainer because it always looked like he was going to kill himself, but he retains the Cruiserweight Championship with the move. Um, I gave this match three stars. PJ, would that, that be about what you gave this card or this match? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right. Next up, talk. There's a lot of Gaga leading into this match where they could have just set it up before the show and save some time on this pay-per-view, and you'll understand why we keep getting to it if you don't know yet. The WWE Tag Team Championship match, NWO Hollywood, Scott Steiner and the Giant taking on Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell. Give us your thoughts on the Tag Team Championship match here. Okay, so you you talked earlier about how like we kind of knew, you know, what was going to happen, uh, and, <laughs> and whatever was supposed to happen was was obviously what was supposed to happen. Uh, Rick Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell taking on the Giant Scott Steiner for the title. Uh, somehow Rick Steiner and Buff Bagwell go over on the Giant and Scott Steiner, but you know it, there's always some Gaga. Uh, not a great, not a great match. To me, it wasn't a great match just because it wasn't. It, it was very, very predictable on what happened. Um, but still, we ended up getting the match that everybody wanted after it. So DBCW did do their job in that uh, that aspect. But um, yeah, it was an okay match. Yeah, I gave it three stars just because of the story that it told. So we mentioned, we already mentioned, first of all, let's start off with the, with the entrance. Uh, Giant, still small enough to be able to get a title around his waist. Thought was interesting uh, while he smokes a cigarette on the way to the ring. Nothing is more cringe than a 400-pound dude smoking a cigarette. I don't know why. Um, you know, I knew, like I, I mentioned it a few times on the show, knew it was coming back then. It was more obvious even now. Buff Bagwell is in jeans to take to have this match. Uh, you knew the turn was coming, uh, but they could have let it build up a little bit more. It happened within like the first three minutes. They go to hit a double team on Scott Steiner. Uh, Buff ducks and then kind of gut putt, gut kicks. Uh, Rick Steiner jump, does his little buff jump and runs to the back. Buff Bagwell never left the NWO. It was all a setup to try to. Uh, you know, set Rick Steiner up to make sure that he was never going to face his brother one-on-one. -on -one. Um, the Giant goes to the top rope and hits a missile drop kick on uh, Rick Steiner moves and he nails Scott with it. There was some impact with those boots to Scott Steiner. Um, oh, yeah. And Scott sold it perfectly. Um, they let Rick go over, which eventually became a handicap spot. So, like, we had Braun Strowman winning the tag team titles at WrestleMania with a child. We just right. had Rick Steiner win the tag team titles by himself with the Steiner Bulldog to the Giant. Um, uh, so just making him look really strong. Uh, the story of telling that he would do anything that he could to get his hands on his brother. And like, like you mentioned, we get Scott Steiner versus Rick Steiner immediately following this match. 
I, uh, I I do want to say I wrote I did write one note with Tony Schiavone with the the blatant low blow, and the quote here is the executive committee has to look at that move. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, dude. Oh, Amazing. pink Monday that Night War WCW, dude. That was right before that that missile drop kick. That's what yep. me reminded. But yep, um, Rick Rick moves. Scott's destroyed by that drop kick and. Uh, Rick comes out the clothesline, hits the bulldog off the top, and wins the titles all by himself. That's right. And then, yep, we move on to the pop. The, the crowd does pop huge for that win. They are ready to see Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner. And listen, this match was a ton of gaga just to essentially assault Rick Steiner, to continue to tell the story that Rick Steiner will, will overcome. Buff Bagwell gets involved. Stevie Ray shows up. Uh, but Rick Steiner does overcome, and he gets the win over his brother, I gave this match one star because it was just, I don't know, it was organized chaos. PJ, how'd you feel about this match between Scott and Rick Steiner? I gave it two stars specifically just for story. But, yeah. Um, yeah, very, very, I think I, thought, I think it was too quick. And I know that we just technically got a match, a 15-minute match right there because eight minutes, five minutes. But, like, I, it could have been a little bit longer. You know, I think um, to culminate this, this rivalry, and I think this is their only one-on-one match from this rivalry. They should have had more, like they should have had a one-on-one match at Starcade, and then culminate with a match at like Super Brawl or Uncensored or something. But this was their only one-on-one match, and it just to me it fell flat because that's all you got. Um, you know, looking at the rest of this card, there was some really like, if you look back and just look at the look at the names alone. There was a lot of really big stuff that happened on this card. Next up was the Battle of the Outsiders. Uh, Scott Hall had turned on Kevin Nash, was part of NWO Hollywood. Kevin Nash, the leader of the NWO Wolfpack. Um, PJ, I'd like you to, you know, I, I'm a, I'm going to seed to you. I'm going to let you start us off here with this one too, um, because I know the story they were trying to tell. And I'm hoping that you can maybe explain it a little bit better to me. Give us your thoughts. Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash. Uh, well, I probably won't explain it to you better, uh, but it's pretty cut and dry. We're, what we're trying to do here is uh, we are trying – we're trying to make reality into a fictional world, and they're using Scott Hall's real alcoholism al- – alcoholism alcoholism um into the storyline so he comes to the ring with a drink he's stumbling um you know hall's hitting the crotch chop uh because you know using your competitor's hand gesture is super cool um yeah this wasn't a great match and it could have been a lot better because if we hadn't have been using scott hall's uh problems he could have actually wrestled yeah. a good match against Kevin Nash. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where Nash is just trying to teach his friend a lesson. He wants his friend back. He wants he wants the other outsider back. He wants his dude back. Um, there's a little bit of action back and forth. This match was 15 minutes, and honestly, it went 13 minutes too long, yeah. in my opinion. Um, the finish shows Kevin Nash hitting a jackknife powerbomb on Scott Hall. And instead of pinning him, he's going to do it one more time and walk out of the ring. 
And rather than pin him, Nash is actually counted out, and Scott Hall uh, technically defeats Kevin Nash. Yeah, so I'll give you my notes. First of all, Nash was selling hard for Scott Hall. Like there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of wrestling moves from Scott Hall. Just a real like a, a, essentially a beatdown where yeah. Kevin Kevin Nash just takes it and doesn't fight back until late in the match. Um, you know, you already touched on it. A really bad taste to poke fun at Hall's real life substance abuse here. Um, and like you said, Nash doesn't take the pin. The entire match was a story about their friendship. Uh, to your point, not a great match, but I thought that was a pretty good story. I gave it three stars. Um, I, you know, to your point, like, I think it's, I think you, exp- you, you did explain it better because Nash was, you know, I don't know who you are. Like, I'm going to, I want to try to knock some sense to you. It's not about winning the match. I want to power bomb you to the point where like you get it through your head that you need help. Like that was the story of the match. Yeah. And he didn't care about winning. And the other thing, too, the commentators were trying so hard to put this match over to the point that Mike Tanay was like, you know, I've never seen this much brutality. It's like, Jesus, man. Like, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, literally go seven years back and you can watch Abdullah the Butcher get electrocuted. Come on. Come on. He didn't have the, he, he didn't have the network back then. And maybe his VCR is broken. All he got to do was talk to billionaire Ted and get into that get into that videotape library that was still not owned by Vince at the time. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, um, before we get to the next matchup, uh, which again is on paper a phenomenal match, we get the third appearance of the Nitro Girls on the night. Uh, again, a waste of time, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue um, about seeing the Nitro Girls because it's always nice to to see them. And we saw uh, Shawn Michaels' future wife in there. Um, I don't think that Booker T's wife has shown up at this time, but you get Kimberly Page and the rest of the Nitro Girls, just fun, fun stuff. Uh, next up, we get we have three matches left on the card, if you can believe it. The WCW United States Championship, the Sharpshooter versus the Scorpion Deathlock. The champion, Brett the Hitman Hart, taking on the icon Sting. Um, Sting, I- I'll give you my notes. I'll start us off here. Sting comes to the ring. They, they said it was more of a, a sinister look for Sting. Because he has a goatee, I guess. Um, still looked weird, but but I digress. Um, I thought this was the second best match on the card, uh, aside from the actual main event. Um, peak Sting. Like, Sting was in his prime here. We know what Bret Hart can do in the ring. Really smooth all the way around, in my opinion. Um, I think it was a tad long, um, but it was a unique finish. You get Sting trying to hit the Scorpion, uh, the, the Stinger splash in the corner. Overshoots Bret Hart facing the turnbuckle. Uh, I guess the, the cell was that he hit his head on the the the, the metal pipe. Um, Bret Hart within. We talked about a few shows ago about Ronda Rousey's baseball attack on Liv looking uh, just you know ridiculous. Bret Hart would uh, assault Sting with the baseball bat here, and he made it look great. Um, he would beat him down with the with the with the bat. He did a he did a. His patented forearm off the second rope with the bat instead of his elbow. Uh, he would put Sting in the in the the sharpshooter. The referee is is who had been knocked down earlier in the match uh, is is now revived. Sting cannot tap out because he is knocked out from from getting beat up. He'd be put on a stretcher after the match. Uh, Bret Hart retains the United States Championship. I gave this match four stars. PJ, am I off base, or do you sort of kind of see where I'm coming from? No, I totally do. So four stars is what I gave it as well. I actually hated the finish 
not because Sting lost, because that Sting's you know one of my favorite guys, but the baseball bat finish was just super fucking overkill. I mean, you're beating the shit out of this guy with this this what we're supposed to believe is a metal bat, and it's like goddamn, that's borderline murder, like. <laughs> I mean, he did get like, he did get stretchered know, out. Of the, of the, I, I, of the yeah, I, I I know we get a stretcher job here. You know, I mean, I I, I get it, but um, yeah, I think that's a lot of wasted time, honestly. And you know, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there on why that's so important. But uh, the match was good, though. The match was good. I think it just wasn't. It didn't click that icon status like it should have, and I don't know if it was just because a combination of the chemistry, a combination of just Brett's overall WCW career, because that's our that's just abysmal. Um, which that might have been too much, too too dramatic to call it a, abysmal, but it's not great. Um, yeah, I guess I wanted just a little bit more, but I I, I did give it four stars. See, I I kind of feel like a different way. Like I think. They really wanted to push Bret over as like the worst heel in the world. Like Bret Hart is a great wrestler, but he was going to do everything he took, everything it took to take Sting out to not just retain his title, but to like end Sting. Like that's what I think the story they were trying to tell by that baseball bat assault. Um, so while I get your point, I think the uh, I think the story that was being told was that Bret Hart wanted to just completely end Sting here, and so that's why we get the the, the Overly gratuitous violence with the baseball bat. So, um, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but we'll respectfully disagree because we've agreed on everything else in this on this in this show, for that matter. We have not disagreed. It's going to be the most boring show in, in show history. Um, next up, the infamous rematch from WrestleMania Six. The Warrior has returned to wrestling. He is here in WCW taking on Hollywood Hogan. Uh, PJ, we have we have sort of teased this for a few shows now. Why don't you tell us about this match and give us your thoughts about this match? <laughs> I know you're gonna bring it, PJ. I know you're gonna bring it. Okay. Not only <clears throat> excuse me, guys. I, I don't know if you guys are just tuning in. I don't know why you're skipping ahead right here, but um, if you guys are, I I've played four shows in a row this weekend my voice is not where it usually is but we wanted to give you this episode for halloween so just bear with us bear with me um but anyway um not only are both of these wrestlers and i use that term really usely very loosely, loosely very loosely <clears throat> but this match was god awful <laughs> this match was just just Awful. I mean, it, it was just, it's just, <clears throat> excuse me, not only was it boring, but the parts where action was trying to get going because you had just two just skeletons of men in there. And by skeletons, we're not talking like small guys. We're talking like skeletons in the sense of like they're the bare minimum of what a professional wrestler would be. Because both of these guys were big. I mean, both, you know, Hulk Hogan has gone on record as saying he was a steroid user at one point. Ultimate Warrior is a, is a known, or at least was a known uh, steroid user. So they're big dudes, but they are like show muscles because there was no wrestling in this match, as PJ alluded to. No. <clears throat> and, you know, okay, so here's what I hated. So Hogan is trying to sell this so hard. 
to Warrior just screaming at him, who's the man, who's the man? And it just goes on for so long that it just becomes sad, very sad. Uh, Warrior is no-selling, hits his own slam and clotheslines Hogan. Uh, Hogan's trying to pull Warrior out, but Warrior's on the other side of the ring not knowing what the hell's going on. He looks fucking lost as hell. Um <laughs> Okay, then we get a ref bump, and then Hogan drops a knee on the ref, literally just like Bret Hart in the last fucking match. Yep. Like, it's yep. just fucking terrible. We're getting the NWO coming out. We're getting Steiner coming out. We're, we're getting everybody coming out. Or not Steiner, excuse me. My point was, here comes Giant, who couldn't beat Rick Steiner with two other people's help earlier. Yep. But he's going to come out and help Hulk Hogan. Um Warrior's trying to get the cover because he gets everybody out. There's no ref, of course. Then we get to whew, one of the go. most one of the most famous spots in all of professional wrestling history. Oh my god! Okay, so iconic picture here. Uh, Hogan has got the belt wrapped around Warrior's neck and is pulling at it. Uh, really good stuff there. That's pretty fun. Uh. Chat Nick Patrick is chastising for using the belt. He got chastising Hogan. Hogan then gets some flash paper, and we know what's coming. Yep, he gets out a baggie full of what looks like cocaine. Yeah, but it's a it flash looks, paper. It looks like he's about to shoot up in the corner. <laughs> it's hilarious. And he tries to throw a fireball, but he botches it, and Hogan seems to burn off his own mustache and eyebrow. Warrior is trying to call more spots right into the camera. He hits a double axe handle off the top. Hogan's going to blade on a fucking axe handle, and that just got me. Uh, here comes Horace Hogan. Horace Hogan comes out, and Bischoff's going to distract the ref while Horace can slide a chair in. He hits Warrior with the chair. Another swerve. I can't believe it. Yeah. I, is Russo here already? Anyway. Bischoff is going to let the ref go so Hogan can cover Warrior for a three count. 14 minutes and 20 seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, it felt like that match went on for an hour. It This was the worst match in WCW. A lot of people can argue that this was the first... Okay. This is when the hole began for WCW. I personally think it first happened uh starcade last uh that this last year with um sting the and sting hogan. and hogan and yeah. that whole debacle that's when the first that's when the shovel hit the dirt in my opinion some people think that this is when the shovel hit the dirt and they're not far off cuz this is fucking dog shit so um real quick uh i didn't think this was match was as bad as i remember but it still wasn't good so we're going i'm just going to say that um to your point uh, I think that if I'm trying to think about how to use it, how to, how to use a good analogy, I think Starcade '97. If you t think about it in terms for a car, like Starcade '97, you got a flat tire on your car, and now you've been riding a donut for the last ten months. When that donut's only supposed to go like I don't know, thirty miles. <coughs> yeah, and so like. This pay-per-view is almost as if like, okay, you're either your donut gave all like, like finally gave out or you fixed that tire because this card on paper was a fantastic card with great storylines involved. I mean, you had Hall and Nash, 
Warrior Hogan, DDP, and Goldberg. Yeah. Great card on paper. So now you finally replaced that tire. You finally got that tax return. You're able to replace that tire. But you forgot to change your oil. And so now your car is broken down. The car broke down at this show. And after this show, WCW needed an oil change. Maybe they didn't use the right synthetic. This is where the 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 the, the train started to come off the rails at this pay-per-view. And it, you could argue it was this match. It was the Hogan botching a fireball spot. Uh, Warrior just being absolutely out of his mind, like just I, – I can't explain it. Like I was lost. never – Yeah, just I was lost. And in fairness, I will not claim to have ever been an Ultimate Warrior fan. I thought his look was cool, but – I was one of the select few that like his his promos didn't make sense. Uh, he's a terrible wrestler. His finisher was was I don't I don't know what you call his finisher. He was he was he made our, our list our our podcast where we did the worst finishers in, in history. Um, and just he's terrible. He was a, he was a terrible wrestler. Uh, I don't like speaking ill of the dead because apparently he he had sort of made some amends at the end of his life, but. Um, at this time in his life, he was not a good wrestler, not a good person. He would show up on Monday Nitro the next night and cut a promo that, again, made no sense, drop the F-bomb on TNT, um, and would never be seen on WCW television again. So he got a fat little payday for this one match and a promo the next night that made no sense that contained an F-word that you can't say on TV – Especially when WCW was trying to, uh, I know they were going for the edgy, like middle aged guy uh, ratio, but knowing that they were on on television, that they couldn't talk that way. So, yeah, I think this this match or, or the, this match in particular is sort of that progression from from Starcade '97 to now Halloween Havoc '1998. And there's a there's another reason uh, why it was sort of go off the rails here and that starts with this with the main event of this pay-per-view one of the most anticipated matches in wcw at the time and vaunted is one of the best main events of halloween havoc in the in the show's history diamond dallas page challenges goldberg for the world heavyweight championship i wanted to ask you before i went into it who would win a match or who would you rather see go over in a match between the ultimate warrior and goldberg Oh my god! Yeah, it's a real. That's a, that's a <clears throat> probably that's Goldberg. A, that's a Friday the Thirteenth style uh, question, right? Like, what's you know? That's probably the scariest thing you can think of. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think Goldberg would go over just because I know he gets a bad rap for being a bad wrestler, but this may be his best match of all time. Is this match with Diamond Dallas Page in the main event? Now. I'm going to give storylines, and then I'm going to let you tell us your – your. I say storylines. I'm going I'm to give sort of what happened with this match as far as logistics, and then I'm going to let you give us your thoughts on the match, PJ. Um, they missed the boat here. I, I'm going to give the ending away now. Um, DDP was as hot as anybody in pro wrestling at this time. Um, again, if you've, have, if you've been living under a rock and you don't know what happens, two months later, Goldberg would lose – the world heavyweight title to Kevin Nash um, with some Gaga attached to it. But it's been argued by me, among other people, that this is probably when the uh, the streak should have ended. Diamond Dallas Page was over like Rover. 
Yeah. Um, did not go over us, but but I digress. Um, the big story about this match, however, is because we already talked about Hogan Warrior with the, the old change, the, the dumb, the bad comparison I try to give it. Um, this match, I think, maybe have maybe could have been the lighter that Hogan tried to use in that match to really set set that that really really strong fire under WCW. This match uh, did not make it to pay-per-view. The majority of fans watching this on pay-per-view would have their feeds cut off as Goldberg and DDP locked up in the first minute of the match. Uh, they ran out of time in the pay-per-view, which resulted in having to refund millions of dollars to consumers who would complain to their cable companies that they did not get what they paid for. And then WCW was forced to air this match live I say live, air this match on live TV on WCW Monday Night Show the next night for free. Uh, so from a financial standpoint, they took a huge loss with this pay-per-view. Yes. That could have been one of the biggest financial gains ever because of that DDP Goldberg match. And instead, not only do we all get it for free the next night on Nitro, but everybody who paid for that pay-per-view got their money back. So again, I'm not going to try to give another analogy here. We talked about Starcade '97. We talked about the botch, the, the botch of a match that Hogan Warrior was. The logistics behind what happened as a result of the pay per view going long, and we can go back and look through it. The stupid Hogan promo after the first match, the the, the wasted buildup that could have been taken care of on Nitro, and I don't even know if Thunder was a thing back then, where you could have set up Steiner and Bagwell, so you didn't have to do it at the pay per view. All the Nitro girl spots. The over, overly long, the extra long Nash Hall match, the extra long Hogan Warrior match. You could have cut time and had nothing to worry about. And I think WCW would have been able to come out from this pay-per-view strong, despite some of the shortcomings. But instead, they shot themselves in the foot over and over again, and nothing could be more indicative of, of what WCW could do than with the main event. Uh, PJ, how'd you feel about this match? DDP Goldberg... For the world title at Starcade '98, Starcade Halloween Havoc '98. This is a four and a half star match. Oh yeah, this match is incredible. You know the match that or the spot that I really liked as well is uh, and Tony Schiavone just you know is flabbergasted by it when Goldberg straight up straight up does a backflip to dodge one of DDP's uh, hits. Yep, and. Shivani stops and it's like, did, did I just see Goldberg do a backflip? And it, really good stuff. Oh, yeah, dude. Listen, Goldberg <clears throat> gets crapped on um, for being a bad so. wrestler. Yeah, but like, he wasn't terrible. Like, he wasn't as bad as people make him out to be. He had some like rolling submissions. He was athletic. Like you said, he did the backflip. Um, I thought the spot where DDP called for the diamond cutter and Goldberg hit the spear, I thought that was gold. I don't care what anybody says about how bad he was. Goldberg spears, the it all it, to me, it's all about the people that took him. If you could take a spear and be really good about it, that spear could look perfect. And that spear that DDP took in this match was fantastic. The spot where Goldberg uh, tried to lift up DDP for the jackhammer, he had the bat arm, couldn't do it. Finally, finally tried to get him up. DDP would reverse it into a diamond cutter. That pop should have been enough for them to call a change on the fly. Because that, that pop from that diamond cutter 
Nobody would have been surprised had DDP been able to get that pin and all of a sudden, boom, we have a new champion and Goldberg streak is over. Um, just really fantastic stuff here. Um, again, Goldberg goes over. We find out the next night on Nitro that he's gone over. And two months later, he would lose the title to Kevin Nash. And not long after that, Kevin Nash would get put down by the finger poke of doom and the NWO would rejoin uh, and, and reconform together. And thus sort of it sets the scene for the end of WCW PJ. Before we take our final break and talk about the top five scariest gimmicks in wrestling history, what'd you give this match? This, this card as a whole star rating one to five. How many stars does Halloween Havoc 1998 get? That's a four. Uh, yeah. Four out of five. I give it. Yeah. You know, I have to give it at least a three and a half to four stars as well. I mean, just again, on paper, some really cool stuff here. Uh, despite some of the botches when it comes to Hogan Warrior and the fact that the pay-per-view feed cut out. Really, really good pay-per-view. Arguably could be one of the best, if not the best, Halloween Havocs of all time. It was yeah. that good. There's a reason why I picked this one. I really love this pay-per-view, yeah, despite and, dis- despite some of the, the, the gaga, but it's still yeah, great. If, if you can get through some of the nonsense in this pay-per-view, I definitely suggest if you have Peacock, if you've never seen Halloween Havoc 1998, Go out and watch Halloween Havoc '98. It's only about a three-hour show, three-hour, fifteen-minute show. You can fast through some of the people through some of the people that you've never seen before, uh, but really fun stuff here. We're gonna take our last break. We're gonna get to the main event next, where we're gonna talk about the top five spookiest gimmicks in wrestling history. Stay tuned. We'll be right back right here on Tap Outs and Touchdowns. All right, everybody, welcome back to the main event of the show. It is our Halloween special. We are talking the top five scariest or spookiest gimmicks in wrestling history. We're going to go through our list that we've got here because we are running short on time. PJ, who would you say is your number five spookiest gimmick in wrestling history? Uh, I would, I, you got to really throw Kamala in there. I think that was very creepy. Uh, and, and it was supposed to be that, that Kabuki kind of type thing. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a big uh, supporter of that. So yeah, uh, Kamala. Yeah, I you know uh, Kamala probably goes a little higher on my list. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Papa Shango, um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure he's gonna be higher on your list too. Uh, but as a child, watching a guy like make Ultimate Warrior convulse and stuff like that, like if you like, as you're if you're an adult watching that, you're like, wow, this is silly and dumb. But as a kid, it probably freaked you out a little bit. So I'm going. Uh, I'm gonna go Papa Shango at number five. Uh, PJ, number four, let's hear it. Uh, I'll say Papa Shango would probably be there, but for the sake of not repeating what you said, uh, I'm actually going to say Jake the Snake Roberts. Ooh, can I let's let's hear an explanation why Jake the Snake Roberts? Because you don't think Jake the Snake Roberts is sort of like a like a spooky gimmick. So, is it you know, what is it about Jake the Snake Roberts that makes your list? Well, I think because of his promos, because he's not loud, he's not you know, in your face, he's quiet. So that's creepy of itself, but then you add it in the snake. Uh, when you're looking at it, and that kind, of, you're when you look at it like he's a real person, um, a slow or not a slow, but a soft-spoken, weird old man carrying a sack of snake. That's pretty creepy. No, that makes sense. I'll see your Jake the Snake Roberts, and I'll meet. I'll I'll I'll, I'll call it Boogeyman at number four. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Listen, again, like this dude legitimately was eating worms in the ring. 
uh, eating them, like chopping them up and then dropping them on people's face. Like, even if it wasn't like scary, it was still like gross enough to like freak you out. So I'm going boogeyman as my number four. Uh, PJ, let's hear your number three. Uh, the demon Finn Balor. Demon Finn Balor. I'll take it. Uh, is it just because of the, of the, of the, the, the I guess the attire? Yeah, the just, gimmick? just, just from the gimmick. Yeah. Yeah, I'll see again. I'll see your Finn Balor, and I'll raise you a Gangrel, mm-hmm. a legitimate vampires that would sort of start off, kick off the career of Edge and Christian. Um, that brood music still pops, it still hits. Whenever you hear it, you still kind of get amped from it. So I'm going, I'm going Gangrel with number three. Uh, PJ, give me your number two. Uh, so there's a couple. Like a couple of guys that I could have thrown in. I, I looked at like Viscera. I was looking at Midian, but I'm honestly going to put in Kane. Yes. I mean, the debuting Kane was scarier than anything. We were supposed to believe that he survived a fire. Uh, he can make fire come out of turnbuckles. I mean, and that's going to lead us right into our number one, which I think I know yours, but we'll start with number two. What's your number two? Yeah. So listen, some honorable mentions here because I, I wanted to put Kane in there. Um, but the fact that he's like the real life mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee is hard for me to put him in there. Another, honor- another honorable mention, Mankind, like not like mm-hmm. the goofy Mankind mm-hmm. we would know, but the original deranged Mankind was really good. Um, yeah. I'm probably going to get crapped on for this. I'm putting The Fiend, Bray Wyatt in there. Uh, a schizophrenic, yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, schizophrenic, like, like Pee Wee's Playhouse versus like horror movie mask, like just really good sort of ball dropping like we've talked about before where WWE can't get a you know couldn't couldn't step stepping on their couldn't stop stepping on their own feet with the fiend um but just a fantastic gimmick. Uh PJ, I think we do agree on the number one, but I'm gonna let you say it all out anyway. Oh, it is the phenom, the dead man, the yardstick of professional wrestling, the Undertaker. The Undertaker. Most definitely. Uh, absolutely Digging holes and taking souls, the Hall of Famer, uh, the Undertaker, was the first wrestler I ever saw that scared me. Not because of how big he was, but because of what he could bring to the ring from a gimmick standpoint and invoke fear in not just his opponents, but the crowd as well. Uh, PJ, this has been really fun. I love, love, love diving into Halloween for a Halloween special here on the show. Anything you want to leave us with, I'm going to try to let your voice rest, but is there anything you want to leave us with before we sign off here? No, uh, I really, really appreciate it. We look forward to bringing you so much great content. In November, we've got a current stuff to look at, some Japan, some New Japan stuff to look at. Uh, we've got a Survivor Series that we're going to do for November, and it's going to be fucking sweet. We've got Fall Brawl that we're going to be bringing you, so really, really stoked about it. Thank you guys very, very much for joining us. And um, I do want to say, did you see what uh, the big event that has been announced for Great Muda's final match? I did, and I think we should we should set that tease up for our next show. Let's Maybe see. We'll- yeah, okay. Let's do that because what's happening, ladies and gentlemen, for Great Muda's final show? We're gonna we're we're, we're cutting low here, but the Great Muda will be taking on Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura is going to return to Japan to wrestle in Noah. Uh, to take on the great Muda, WWE is allowing that to happen, and that is just amazing. Like we talk a lot about, a, uh, we talk a lot about the Forbidden Door. 
this forbidden door has been taken out the fucking hinges. That's tremendous. But I digress. Thank you guys very much for joining us, man. And yep. happy, happy, happy Halloween to you all. Yep. As PJ said, I hope you all about all have a happy Halloween. We're going to let PJ's voice rest for at least a week so that we can get out some other great content here on the show. Um, make sure you don't eat too much candy. If you do, hide it from your parents. I'm kidding. Children don't listen to the show. Uh, for PJ Steven, it's your guy, Bully Rye. Happy Halloween, and I'll be around.